Doc's Watch is meant for entertainment purposes only and not, I repeat, not meant to give medical advice or diagnosis. Always consult your doctor and not your podcast host if you have a medical question, concern, or ailment. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Doc's Watch, the show where real doctors tell you what's real, what's not, and what's maybe possible in your favorite movies and TV shows. I'm Dr. Jen. And I'm Dr. Deepa. We finally made it to our last Twilight episode in the birth scene we've been wanting to talk about. It's a lot, so let's just get right down to it. In this episode, we'll cover extreme scalpel confidence, placentas and how they don't get enough credit, and how the C-section got its name. Sort of. Enjoy! Okay, Deepa, let's go to rounds. All right, so before we actually go to rounds, I do have an addendum for pre-rounds, uh, which is I have a correction that I would like to make from something I said in a previous episode. I previously accused Carlisle Cullen, the patriarch of the Cullen clan, of uh-huh. once being a Confederate soldier. Um, it wasn't him, actually. It was Jasper, who is Who's like Jasper. Jasper is the curly-haired one um, who has a he has that a southern nothing to me. <laughs> he has a southern-ish accent because he's from Texas, but he is the one who was a Confederate soldier. Mm. Not Carlisle. I don't know where okay. Carlisle, where what side is, he fell is on. Is Jasper a Cullen? Yeah, he's a he's part of the Cullens. Yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, I mean, they're just all Cullens because they all like they made each oh, other. Uh, That's, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're it's not, not a blood family situation. No, no, it's no, because they're all from different. Family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're all from different eras. Okay. Like okay, Edward, okay. Edward was he suffered from the Spanish flu. Mm. That's why he got turned into a vampire. It was 1918 flu pandemic. And who knew that Twilight would hit so close to home? <laughs> so close to home. Yeah. Anyway, so what are we talking about today? We're okay, gonna- so today we are finally going to talk about the scene that started this entire trio of episodes. And traumatized which is both of us. Yeah, traumatized both of us. It's literally the most hor- one of the most horrific things I've ever seen. But it is... And both of us um, have seen and- lots of movies. And our doctors. Oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> but it is Bella Swan giving birth. So ridiculous. Well, who's so, she giving birth to? What's the name? Do you remember? No, I refuse. I don't even know if I totally remember what it is. I just know that it is a combination of Renee. Yep. And something else. <laughs> Esme. The baby's name is Renesme. That's I know. terrible. It's Although, okay. I will say, she also said... Because I remember when you cut out the birth scene for me to watch so that I didn't have to watch the whole movie, you included the part where they talked about the name. I did, I did. And she also said that if it were a boy, she would name him EJ uh-huh. for Edward Jacob. And yes. I was like, you're going to name your baby after your two boyfriends? <laughs> like, and everybody uh, is your, cool with this? After your husband and the guy that, like, creepily stalks you and forces himself on you on some occasions. And then later... I can't. Imprints? Don't, I don't uh, know what that means. I mean, exactly, is it any worse but... than Albus Sivarus? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's a little bit worse. At least Albus and Severus are not like Harry Potter's lovers. Yeah. Like, there's that because that's like more like, I mean, Albus Severus is a terrible name. Yes. I'm going to, let's just get that out there. It's a yeah, terrible name terrible for a name. child. Yeah. Like, what are we doing? Yeah. But 
in that case, you're kind of like naming your child after like mentor figures. Yeah, in that's your what life, I figured. It's like mentors right? it's to honor that person. Yeah, right. Like it's and an honorific kind of thing. They're both like yeah. dead yeah. at that point. And Harry Harry Potter is like, you know, doesn't have a family. He's like found family situation or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And sure, like sure, sure. Albus is kind of like a father figure for him. Blah blah. Whatever. Anyway. Anyway. Harry Potter is also problematic now. Thanks yeah. a lot, J.K. Rowling. Um, but that's not what we're talking about this episode. We are talking about Bella's birth scene and just how many tropes are in it. Um, and to that end, it's kind of like there's so many birth tropes just like there's so many pregnancy tropes in movies and tv in general and in sci-fi and fantasy that are specific to sci-fi fantasy in specific that i was like there's no way that we can cover all of them so instead i made a bingo card (laughs) that i'm gonna link in the liner notes so as you're listening to this or in a future movie that you're watching exactly you can just like download this bingo card and just see what happens if you get Um, horrible birth bingo yeah, and if you do get bingo with a movie, let us know, because I would be curious. I mean, I feel like you could get bingo in a lot of movies, that, and anything that has a birth scene, you could probably get to it. Yeah, and yeah. it's not even comprehensive, because that would take Honestly, you a could lot use it in a paper. non-sci-fi fantasy as yeah. well. <laughs> like, yeah, the only ones that you wouldn't really get if it's not sci-fi fantasy is, like, mystical pregnancy. Yeah. And, like, some specific kind of tropes that are there but a lot of the tropes are actually pretty universal yes. for just birth in m- media i guess <laughs> birth in um, visual yeah culture and we've we have talked a little bit before about like problematic birth scenes in sci-fi fantasy oh, the most have. famous and one of the worst ones being padme amidala's giving birth to luke yes. and leia which we talked about in a previous episode um episode two yeah Episode two of the, well, I guess it's episode two. It's from the first season. Uh, But it was, it was one of those things where if you, when I saw it at the time, like in the movie theater, I didn't think anything of it because I was like, I don't know, nine or something, whenever that movie came. (laughs) It's a long time ago. But now when you watch it, you're like, galaxy far, far away. There is, (laughs) there is no way a baby can be born from two babies. Two babies. That's true. They're two babies. (laughs) There is no way two babies are born. Just in the way that she is laying on the table. There's no way that two three-month-old babies came out of Padme Hamadala. And the thing about thing about it that's, like, infuriating about that kind of thing is, like, these movies aren't made with, like, two people on a set. There's, like, right. easily probably, like, 50 right. people You're there. You're like, this is not a budget film. And nobody like, is like, um, excuse me, this is not going to work. She literally has her legs, like, shackled in this weird tube. So that yeah, we can't get into it because it's just going to be a whole much. thing. It's too much. But you All should right. go listen to episode two because we do talk about that for a little bit. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so we're going to talk about Bella's scene and we're basically just going to jump right into it. I think originally we had played around with the idea of talking about some other birth scenes in various movies. But then we were like, there's a lot to talk about here. So we should just kind of like go through it. And the scene itself covers a good number of them. So, Oh, so many of them. All right, so, so leading up to the scene, we talked about Bella's pregnancy and how awful it was in the last episode. Um, right. And right before this scene happens, uh, I don't remember, as, as Bella, she is in, at, at a certain point, so let's talk about the setting first. Yeah, you I tell me talk about, about this the movie. room. So And the room and stuff. So in, in at some point in the first Breaking Dawn, 
So Bella gives birth at the very end of Breaking Dawn Part 1. But at a certain point, she's like, they put her, they set up this like exam OR-ish looking room in the Cullen's like awesome house in, you know, Washington State. And so what we're looking at here, I was actually, the first time I saw it, I, for I was actually pretty impressed. It is probably one of the better like medical suite setups that we've seen. Yes. Because it seems to have like a lot of things that you need. So it has relevant equipment. It does have relevant equipment. So <laughs> and it is set up a lot like um, a uh, an OB OR, which is a, a specific type of operating room in a hospital, because unlike typical operating rooms, um, it has to have like certain specific pieces of equipment, most of which have to do with um, helping deliver the baby or taking care of the baby itself. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, if we look at what we've got, so Bella, uh, I clipped like a little scene here, which we can stick somewhere um, so people can see it. But Bella is in on like an egg. The problem is that this table looks a little bit more like an exam table than it necessarily yeah. does look like an operating table. But it looks like a typical OB exam it, it table. It looks like a delivery table, like a delivery. Oh, like in L&D. Yeah, like yeah. table is the wrong word because you're, but it's, it is kind of a table because it, it can lay down flat and stuff. Yeah. But it basically has a it has this the very bottom of the table kind of drops away so that if you're delivering a baby, there's space for like the doctor to be down there yes. and for like stirrups and stuff. So that basically. you can get and then like so that you can position like the legs and everything in a way that you could like deliver the baby. So that's mm -hmm. there. So you're like, OK, so they have that piece of equipment. So I'm going to go just like left to right. So there's an anesthesia cart. Which is yep. an essential piece of equipment in any kind of OBOR. And an anesthesia cart usually has, obviously, the drugs that they use for anesthesia, the gases and that sort of things. It also has, uh, like, a ventilator. Um, it is a ventilator. And so you can hook up a breathing tube to it and all that kind of stuff. It has a couple of screens that are on. I don't know why they necessarily need to be on all the time. And then it has drawers for, like, all the other tools and stuff that anesthesiologists need. Airways, syringes, whatever. Then the next thing is something that you've probably seen um, in uh, not just in operating rooms, but also just on regular hospital floors, which it looks like a code cart is what I would say it looks the most like. And basically, mm -hmm. it's a cart that has a bunch of drawers uh, and the drawers are different colors because all each of the drawers generally are holding like specific things like specific medications or mm -hmm. uh equipment like needles syringes of certain sizes normally right. when you see one of these like in the or or in a hospital somebody has put stickers on every single one of these little drawers to tell you exactly what's in it and the idea is that like if things are going quickly you just need to know exactly where to go like you don't have time yep. to just like be you know looking around for like epinephrine if that's what it is you need yeah. you know you don't have time for anything. You just need to know where stuff you is. You just need to know where the stuff is. And you also need to know that, like, when you open a drawer that the only, like, what is supposed to be in there is the only thing that's in there. So you don't give the wrong thing if you're, like, in right. a rush. And this right. is the And you're still checking everything, but it's just, like, it's an additional safety measure, basically, to yeah. have everything arranged in a very specific way that everybody knows already. Exactly. So she's got that thing. Um, it doesn't have a defibrillator on it. I don't. That's the only thing that might be like missing from this whole setup is that there's not a defibrillator. Um, the next thing is the baby warmer, which is <laughs> the thing that is specific to the OBOR, which is basically yes. like we actually call it a like giraffe because um, yeah. it's like this tiny little. Uh, so it's it's uh, a it's a little bed basically that has four plastic walls that you can 
put up and down on either side. And then there's a heat lamp above it that you can mm-hmm. adjust the, heat the height lamp of. and a light. Yeah. And so as soon as the baby is born um, in the operating room, unlike in a, like a normal birth that happens or like a vaginal delivery that happens um, in a non-operating room sort of situation where like they can deliver the baby and just hand the baby to the mom. If you're in the operating room doing the delivery, usually like you hand the baby to either a pediatrician or a nurse practitioner or somebody like that. And you take the baby mm-hmm. over to the warmer to like examine them, stimulate them, whatever it is you need to do. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit about that at the end. Yeah. So that's there and it and it is almost set up. They it looks like they could probably add some kind of like cover to the little pad that's in it. I will say though like looking at the room setup like being that we are pediatricians, the first thing that I looked at was where the baby warmer was and I was like that's a terrible place for that baby warmer. Like you need to move that baby warmer out and like just kind farther of more away. Yeah. The foot of the bed and away from everything so that like you know, when the pediatricians or the MPs get the baby, they're not like trying to shoulder their way through a bunch exactly. of other people yeah, you to get to the You got to conserve space. And then all the way to the right, there's like some mysterious piece of equipment. I don't know exactly what that last thing is. I'm not sure what it is. It's like it, it's a monitor and it has two tubes coming out of it. And there's like stuff happening on the monitor, but like nobody is hooked up to a monitor. So I don't there's know. There's a what's part happening. of me that thinks it is some kind of like ventilator of some sort. It looks like sort. A, a ventilator. Maybe because like of, because a of the monitoring stuff something? that's available on it, but I'm not sure, like even what kind, because yeah. like the interface is also different than yeah. the ventilators I've seen. So I, I don't think know. they just wanted to put something over there. But overall, I think that th- the setup that Carlisle has here is pretty good. The, sure. The only thing missing he is a doctor. He so. is a doctor. The only thing missing is like usually in an OBOR, there's this like big table of all of these like medieval looking tools to help deliver yeah. the baby. Um, like yeah, all the like forceps and the vacuum. They look like <laughs> giant salad spoons. Um, but none of that is there. So that's the only thing missing. So anyway, so that's that is our setup. Um in their the Cullen's home in Forks. I mean, honestly, if I wanted to deliver a baby or I needed to deliver a baby, I would love to do it amongst all of this greenery and trees. Yeah, it would be difficult to do surgery in that setting. <laughs> Maybe. Like you're just too distracted, like a well, deer no goes overhead by. Light. Oh, like, that's true. Yeah, there is no overhead light. I don't know. We can't see it. Maybe just, it's out of frame. You just frame. have to hope that natural lighting is enough, I guess. <laughs> I guess. All right. So let's talk about, let's start talking about what actually happens oh my God, yeah. when Bella. Which, again, I cannot emphasize how much this is like one of the worst, most horrific scenes I've ever seen. <laughs> like, it is terrible. So it starts out with one, with probably the most like uh, nauseating part, which is that Bella, as we talked about before, has this extremely aggressive pregnancy. Like, it's happening over <laughs> yes. maybe three weeks. A full pregnancy. Yeah, it's unclear, but it's not, it's not months. It's like weeks. No, and she looks about. awful. Yeah. She's all emaciated. She's standing there telling Jacob about the Renesmee name. And he's like, all right, that's fine, I guess. Um, and What a thing to be talking about when this happens. She is she holding the cup of blood or yes. is yeah yes, she's holding she drops it? the cup right so she's holding this cup of yep. blood which we figured out is her like main pregnancy craving um, and uh, all of a sudden they're just like casually minding their own business and literally her back snaps and goes to like a ninety degree angle yeah, snaps in half backwards yes like which they just don't talk and, about again they just like yeah put her like, on it. A- 
table and i'm like wait a second you guys that is such a severe injury broke. Like, what are we doing her injury after that backbreaking is is really severe like she could be paralyzed i yeah, mean i guess she like, doesn't need an epidural now yeah well like they they indicate that she still has feeling we'll get to that later when everything happens but like her back breaks in half and everyone's just like <laughs> the, oh the baby is coming i don't know exactly <laughs> like, like the baby must be coming I'm just like everybody everybody responds as if this is okay so like for context my understanding is that nobody has ever witnessed anything Correct. like this because nobody like has. vampire hybrid human hybrid babies are like not a thing that people think yeah. is possible they're like a thing so of like nobody really knows what to expect right so, like, if you think about it, they're all just standing around chatting, and then suddenly Bella's back is broken in half. And they're like, like the baby must be coming. Water breaks, yeah. back breaks, same thing. What, what are we doing? And then she drops her cup of blood. So this is one of the things that I noticed that I think is just very inconsistent, is, like, she drops her cup of blood, and I guess none of the vampires care that there's blood all over the place, even though one of the things in the lead-up to all of this is, like, oh, if there's blood, they go nuts and stuff. And I'm yeah. just like... Especially Rosalie. In particular. They're always very sure. worried about Rosalie. But Rosalie seems fine. Yeah. When the blood is all over the ground. Yeah. She so. doesn't care about that blood that spills on their beautiful white carpet. I guess. In their wonderful home. So her back breaks in half. And then it's like cut to. They somehow get her on the table in this room. In yeah. the house. I guess they have, I don't know, realigned her back. I don't know. Something has happened where they realigned her back. Because otherwise. They... Every time she gets injured during this entire sequence, nobody cares about that injury anymore. Let's That's be honest. True. Like, I mean, she I guess gets in injured the back of and your then head, we just move on. In the back of everyone's head, they're like, we're going to turn her into a vampire. We're going to turn her into a vampire. It doesn't <laughs> matter. So I guess in their mind, they're oh like, gosh. we don't necessarily need to save her. But although I would think that all of these people are panicking at once. So is it established that when you turn into a vampire, you like everything heals? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like, you will turn in... They, they say that you turn into, like, the best version of yourself. And so, like, everything would have to heal. I, I rolled really hard, but you can't see that. Anyway. Yeah. Okay, so anyway, so they take her to the room, and then um, uh, Edward is like, we gotta give her morphine. Because she looks extremely uncomfortable. Like... Yeah, she's, like, screaming. Screaming, she? shouting. It's very... It's it's a birth trope, right? Well, very violently screaming. <laughs> also. Her back so. is broken. Um, and... Let's not forget that Carlisle and Esme and um, whatever the third guy is, uh, they're not at home. <laughs> they're not okay. at home because they went to go like get blood or something like that. They're not in the house. And Carlisle is the doctor. So right. Alice gets on the phone with Carlisle. And in the meantime, they're trying to like stab just some amount of morphine into her leg, which I guess which is, maybe helps. They, it's already drawn up. And it's on a table. So literally just, they're like, she needs morphine. And they grab this syringe that is already filled and just stab it into her leg. I guess Carlisle was like, just in case something happens, here's one <laughs> single syringe of morphine. I mean, he did set up an entire OR suite. So I guess like, that's true. they so wanted they, to be prepared. They stab morphine likely into her bone marrow based on the length of that needle. Oh and like All the, of their needles are way too long. And her lack of uh, subcutaneous tissue. <laughs> she's very yeah. thin so and also, it's given like how huge thin big she needle. is already i'm surprised that like she didn't already have lines like that she wasn't getting like iv fluids or something because she's oh, that, so like, emaciated Carlisle didn't set that up we already established yeah. that he didn't give her an ng tube so he is not a very good doctor anyway no. but it's hard to keep a central line clean too okay so so, Car so they're on the phone basically and yeah. carlisle like 
I don't know what Alice says to him that a makes placental him say, abruption. Yeah. He said the yeah. se- the placenta is separating. Carlisle's funding is, uh, is coming as fast as he can, but and then Edward just says, We'll have to do it. Or Rosalie, I forget who says it. I think One it's of Edward them is that like, says we'll it. have to do it. Yeah. And then they just like cut into Bella's stomach yep. without like anesthesia or anything. Or cleaning anything. Even in a static section, yeah. they still clean it. Even that scalpel was already like out there. It was not a sterile blade. No, it was so. not clean. And and we've talked about keeping things sterile in our Independence Day episode. <laughs> so nothing is sterile in this situation. No, nothing is sterile. Which nothing like is sterile in this you know situation. sometimes with births you have to do things quickly, but even when you do things quickly, you still clean everything. Rosalie seems to know exactly where she wants to cut, and she mm-hmm. makes a nice big incision, it's big and deep. But she only takes it across once. Which if yes. you've ever like actually been to a c-section it takes a little bit more than that usually yeah or any surgery because usually usually you're not just like i'm gonna cut through all of the layers of your skin and everything in one no go you usually just get through yeah you get through like when you when you have to do an operation in the abdomen you get through the skin first and then there are these layers that are called fascia which are basically just these connective tissue layers that kind of each layer holds different organs and things like that, but you have to cut through each one of those until you get to the uterus. And it's like a very yeah. delicate dissection that you're trying to do if you have the time. Um, yeah. Admittedly, but- if it is like a stat C-section, like if it's an emergency, you are a little more aggressive with it than yeah. that. But it's still not like one it's not just scalpel one, swipe one swipe. across your abdomen. Because then after that, you don't just have to like get to the uterus. You also then have to cut through the uterus itself too Mm -hmm. so you gotta do you gotta like move guts out of the way gotta flip the uterus out of the abdomen like there's a lot of stuff that has to happen things that need to happen (laughs) all right so uh rosalie makes this cut the morphine is in her bone marrow um and then like lots and lots (laughs) of things are happening bella is screaming about getting him out saying that he's suffocating you know they're kind of turn her into a very like hysterical person on but to be fair, her back did just break and she is... And someone just stabbed her with a needle. And she is in labor with a demon And someone just cut her baby. belly open. So. That's true. With with just like some amount of morphine that was not enough to make her have respiratory depression. Yeah. So who knows what the yeah. dose even was. And, um, and all of this, this scene is kind of like the way they sh- the, it's shot in the movie is that you're kind of in Bella's... POV. Yes. And she's kind of swimming in and out of consciousness a little bit. So yeah. like So you only get like pieces then, of it. Yeah, you get like flashes of what's happening and then at one point Jacob is like change her or something like that to Edward and Edward is like I can't while he's still in there and I was like why not? Why not? Yeah. They don't actually why explain that. Why is that suddenly that? a restriction against because like Because it doesn't make sense things. because he's like Edward is not that thrilled about the baby, I think. Like he's also worried about like what the baby's going to be. And so if he's worried about, like, destroying the baby, that doesn't make sense. Like, it's clear that Edward's priority is Bella. So if he has a chance to save Bella, why wouldn't he just do it? Even if he knows he's only going to save Bella. You know, like, if he... Do you think that if he did change her while the baby was in there, like, what would happen? I think that the baby would become full vampire. And would just be a baby vamp- baby vampire, which is an actual problem, as I will tell you, based okay. on what I learned from the last But here's the thing, dawn. though, because she hasn't given birth yet. So then, like, no. she would be transformed into a vampire in the state of being pregnant. Yeah. Do like, you do you think that the baby would stay? Forever? 
I don't think so. I, that that doesn't that doesn't go with like the general idea of like vampires being like fancy people, like best versions well, of we themselves. Know, we know that this is all about consistency. So yeah, that's probably true. I don't know. I think that he he also doesn't know. So that's probably why he's like, let's get the baby. That's true. Out. I guess nobody knows. Nobody because knows because this is not it's a situation never... that has arisen before. No, it okay. hasn't. Um, so she's screaming. And and so because of the fact that you kind of only see it from Bella's point of view, and also probably the fact that the people who made this movie were like, we don't want to film all of this because it oh is God. extremely gross. Um, all you see gross. is that like at a certain point, Edward just goes in with his mouth to where. You yeah, he dips his head down and you don't really see. And I think you kind of only know that this is what's happening if you know what's happening. Yes, like, like you have if you've to... read the book or you've read a synopsis or whatever, then you know what's happening right now. But like, you don't see anything. Yeah, the implication is that he like bites into her uterus to open it. Yeah, because he just emerges and he's got all this blood. He's also shooed away the other vampires because like they're very sensitive to Bella's blood. Um, yeah, and only Bella's blood, and, and only Bella's blood. Well, I guess Bella's blood is the only blood on offer. Also, at the moment. Well, Except for that cup of blood. Oh, right. That was Except on for the, the cup ground. of blood that's like in the living room. That I guess they maybe they went to go drink that. Um, that's possible. And so all you see is that he's like biting, and then a, like a second later, after like you know you you go like g fades to black again, and then like Bella is conscious and then he's again, holding a three month old baby, and then he's holding a three month old baby covered <laughs> in like Jello blood. Yeah, like which again the vampires are fine with apparently. Yeah. Because he's literally like Rosalie and she's like, I'm fine. And it's like, how is Rosalie suddenly fine? You were so worried after she just made like a tiny incision with the scalpel. Well, not a, we established it was not a tiny incision. I guess it was a huge incision with the scalpel. <laughs> but there was only a little bit of blood on that scalpel. And all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, this is too much yeah, blood. But also, blood jello on this baby is fine. Apparently. Also, this baby, which I think is like it's a real human baby. Um, looks like the baby was born with like ski goggles on that they like took off right before because the baby has yeah. like this weird like gooey jelly blood all over him except for right around the eyes. Yep, like eyes and nose are just like totally clean. And he's like so confused. Here she is, and he like holds her up and puts her. At least they put her in like a blue towel. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> like the at one, least there's that. At least there's I a guess. blue sterile towel. Given how good their setup was, this just went to shit like immediately. Like, this whole <laughs> sequence. Like. It just goes to show you, no matter how ready you are for something, when it's actually happening. That's true. And Carlisle's not there. Um, so they like kind of get the baby out of there, and then it then they yeah. turn to Bella, who is just yeah. literally dying. In well, front it, of has, eyes. It, it does that thing, which I don't think this is on the bingo card, but this is 100% also a trope, is that she is like staring at her baby and has this kind of like beatific smile on her face. A glow. She's like so in love with her baby. Baby glow. And then just slowly, she just dies. Like it, she literally just like. It's quite a nice piece of acting, I will say. Yes. Yeah, definitely. For Kristen Stewart. Definitely. Because it's when very, I watched it's actually it like again, pretty subtle because she just like her her gaze actually goes blank. Yeah. But up until then, she's like kind of smiling at her baby. But that is 100 percent another trope that I've seen so many times where it's just like, oh, they just gave birth and they have one moment when they're like, oh, the I baby. mean, Padme does this, right? Like yeah. she looks at the baby. She's like she names them and then is like, oh, I'm dead now. Like that's just <laughs> and dead. Yeah. And no, I'm yeah. Dead. The, Bella sort of goes exactly exactly what you said like she's looking at edward she's looking at the baby and the thing is like jacob the people left in the room at this point edward has given 
Rosalie the baby and taking the baby to the living room or something like that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. By the fire. Which, like, you gotta... There's a couple of steps that you usually do to a newborn baby, which, fine. Um, maybe she's doing them out there. And then, so That's Jacob true. and Edward are the only ones left in there. And, like, Jacob just goes to Bella, stay focused, keep your heart beating. I was like, that's a lot of pressure. <laughs> yeah, she can't just, like, think her heart into into beating more. So, because what's happening to her probably is that she's having... A hemorrhage. Like the reason that her entire abdomen is open. Her abdomen is still open. Nobody's trying to close it up. So there's lots of places where she could be bleeding from. Her uterus just got torn open by some teeth. By teeth. So it's going to be a real. That's not going to be easy to put back together. Also. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And then they start doing like deliver her placenta. This rock placenta in her uterus. No, it's just still there. It's still in there. And then. On top of that, they start doing like the saddest CPR ever. Which they, yeah, Jacob, they're both terrible at CPR. Which they're doing like while her abdomen is still just like fully open. Yeah, it's completely open. And I think so. Like I think Jacob starts doing the CPR, and then like while he's doing it or something, Edward like turns around and opens a drawer and takes out this gigantic oh, medieval yeah. looking syringe. It's like a metal, it's like one of those old glass and metal syringes that's yeah. like probably like what, 60 cc, something like that. It's big. Yeah. And he like stabs it into her chest, like into her heart ostensibly is kind of what it looks like he's yeah. trying to do and injects it. And 100% given the length of that needle that just went straight through <laughs> Bella Swan and the bed probably and just like squirted it all onto the ground. Just went, like, and then Jacob the is bed. like, what are you, what is that? And Edward is like, my venom. And I was like, why do you have a syringe full of your venom just like ready, ready to, to go? go? What the implication is, is that like, because like, because then I started thinking about how did they get the venom? Yeah. Like, how did they get it how? out? And so I'm just imagining that like in the weeks that led up to their wedding, that like a few times a day, like you know how when you watch nature documentaries and you see them get the venom from snakes, and they oh, have when they like milk venom from snakes. Well, where they have like that little cup with like the sort of like Plastic rubbery wrap. membrane, yeah, yeah, and they make them do that, and then like they collect like five drops at a time. I'm just imagining <laughs> that like Edward doing this for like weeks, and then yeah. that's like all but he can make. Here's a question. Which venom is it? Because we've established that apparently all of their fluids are replaced with various venoms. I think venoms. it is the venom that makes you a vampire because it comes from your mouth. That's why I think he had to have is done the mouth Is that the, the only thing. venom that makes it? I don't know. Makes you a vampire? It's not any venom? I don't think so. Well, that's... I guess if it was any venom, then she would be a vampire once they had sex. Yeah. Because obviously some venom got injected somewhere because they have a baby. Because they have a baby now. So. Yeah. And the baby would be like leaching venom also. Okay. Don't you so think? I guess it's mouth venom. I that think turns it has to be the mouth venom. Rocks. Yeah, okay. because he like so the thing is like um, an intracardiac injection is a thing. Like it is a right. thing that you could theoretically do. The problem is what he's trying to do. I believe is to get the venom to circulate in her body. So if she's having, if she's like asystolic. Right. If her heart's like not right. beating or just or even if she's in like V-fib and that's why you're giving her chest compressions, whatever, you need to give good compressions to get the stuff that you injected into the heart to like go to the rest of the body. Yeah, because it is not currently effective. No, so if it's just sitting in her it. heart, <laughs> then you need to like move it along, you know. Yeah. And so they're giving like really sad chest compressions, which is which is weird because I I. I thought that I had read that the way that they did this scene was that they actually used a dummy 
for right. Bella, like, neck down. Like, her body. Like, yeah. Yeah. They used, like, a mannequin same. for her body because her body is impressively horrible looking. Um, and yeah, that, so, and then she just, like, horrible. put her head through a thing. So I was like, oh, so this is, like, one of those situations where you actually can, like, demonstrate good compressions yeah, because you you're not giving it to a, a live person. Yeah. But they give really sad and horrible chest compressions, which it's is like no terrible. wonder it took so long to get those venoms all around her. Yeah, no kidding. As an aside, also, Jacob, when he starts doing CPR, gives her like two breaths before he starts. And I'm like, start with chest compressions, Just always buddy. start with chest like, compressions. Like, what are we doing? Also, like, she doesn't need to breathe anymore. Remember? Yeah. <laughs> we just need to get the venoms all around her. She's got to circulate all the venoms, yeah. apparently. So Jake, so not Jacob, sorry. Edward puts the venom syringe in and then he just starts like biting her everywhere on her body just to get like... Which is also really hard to watch. I know. It like, is. I don't know why. And they play this so, music like it's, it's supposed to be very like, romantic and sad. And I'm just kind of like, it is a gross sound effect too. It's like a weird, that wet like kind it's of sound effect. It's crunchy too. Yeah. And I'm kind of like, this is really disturbing actually to yeah, watch. It is. <laughs> it's just. Everything about it was 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 bad. And, and, it's and, disturbing. And it, and it cuts, and and while she's like the venom is going in her body, it there's all these like really quick jump cuts to like an animation of what looks like her organs and stuff, kind of like burning, like they look really gross and like burny. Yeah, like and, they kind of shrivel and go gray. yeah, shrivelly yeah. and gray and black, and then like it's cuts of her like screaming and like shaking, even though she's like fine. So it's like. Supposed to be like an inner feeling. I don't know. Turning into a vampire looks awful, is all I can say. Yeah. I mean, particularly this way that they did it, I guess, which is unorthodox, <laughs> I suppose. But <laughs> Not the usual way somebody turns into but, a vampire. Um, yeah, it is. It's it is just hard to watch. Yeah. And because and, it's and so hard to watch. And eventually they kind of just like stop to just like wait to see what happens. Like a full evening Yeah, passes. that's true. That's true. They just kind of stop at some point. Like, they don't show them stopping, but, like, at some point, Jacob is just convinced that she's dead and he, like, runs out of the house. And right. so they have to, like, he, make like, the decision. outside on the stoop and then... Yeah. And then I actually don't know what happens, what they're doing inside the house, but, like, the next time you see Bella, she's, like, cleaned up and dressed. They put a re blue like, dress they, on they her. They put a blue dress on her. Yeah. And I was like... What are we doing right now? Like, they could as easily be getting ready for a funeral as just, like, getting her dressed to be a vampire? And I wasn't sure if, like, everyone just assumed that it didn't work, so they were getting her know, ready for a so funeral? I know, it's so unclear what the vampires right. are thinking. Right. I thought that they and had been assuming that it, it didn't work, and they were... Everyone acts like they thought it didn't work, because, like, Edward is looks very sad, Jacob is very sad, everybody is just, like sad in mourning essentially yeah, yeah. right because they think bella has died and i'm kind of like so like what are we doing like, yeah <laughs> because then all they show is this animation where like every all of the like burnt stuff from the inside then gets coated in like a layer of white stuff yeah and they and show the she, insides like, her again her whole life flashes before her eyes apparently her whole life then... flashes before her eyes in reverse don't forget that right. it happens in reverse and you hear the twilight <laughs> music and then her like face starts to fill out. Her makeup gets better. Like she gets her chest puffs up. Her chest suddenly very puffs abruptly. Up. I was like, I know your chest isn't crushed from those compressions that they were doing because those were yeah. inadequate. So I don't know why your they chest has to puff up again. And you don't need to breathe because you're a rock now. Exactly. So what are we doing? But again? like her arms <laughs> fill out, her legs fill out, everything fills out, and then she opens her eyes and they're red. 
because she's sure. a new vampire. She's a vampire now. And then it ends. And by vampire, you mean rock. Cut to black. Um, so, like, I really do think to get the full effect of this scene, I do think everyone should watch it you because it's like. It. Even if you, even if it's so. It, again, it's just like. Traumatizing. <laughs> I, this is like one of those situations where you're like, this smells really bad. Do you want to smell it? Or this tastes really bad. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to try it? But like, I really think that you should go check out this scene because it's hard to do it justice by describing it and i'm gonna i'll link to some of the youtube clips um in the liner notes so you yeah. can go check them out but it's, it's like almost the entire scene is available on youtube so yeah you need you need to go see it yeah um okay so now that we've talked about that scene let's actually talk about the medical stuff that we're yeah. gonna talk about today yeah um there's like a lot in this scene that we could talk about but um we picked like a few things that they mention very specifically and then a couple of things that we thought were interesting to talk about today. So the first thing I'm going to talk about is placental abruption, because that's kind of where all of this starts is I can't tell if it's that the placental abruptions happened and then her back broke or like her back oh. broke and that made her placenta. I detached. feel like her like, back I don't know. broke and then her placenta detached. If that's the case, then you have to ask the question, like, why did her back break at all? Like what happened? Because the there? demon baby. Did what? Though? Bro- broke her back. How? Just magic. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but they established very quickly at the beginning of the scene, like we talked about, when um, one of the vampire ladies calls Carlisle, who isn't there. Alice. And describes what's happening. Oh, Alice describes what's happening. And somehow he's like, oh, the placenta is separating. Yes. What he is talking about is a, a placental abruption. So... Um, at least that's what we think he's first, talking about <laughs> yeah that's what we assume he's talking about but let's first talk about what the placenta is first Magic. of all the placenta does not get nearly enough credit no it for is everything incredible. it does nobody ever does anything with the placenta like in tv and movies and obviously like even in this clip not only did they not do anything to remove this rock placenta from her uterus they just like left it in her abdomen i Which guess also and left bad. everything open so yeah but the placenta is basically a temporary organ, which already is really cool, Yeah, that has a lot of functions. And it provides the couple of the main ones being that it providing a way for the fetus to get nutrition, to eliminate waste, and to perform gas exchange. Yeah. Because obviously the fetus is floating around in a lot of fluid. It's not going to breathe the way that we think about breathing mm-hmm. as like a mechanism for gas exchange. And so the gas exchange happens in the placenta, essentially. Yeah. And the fetus is connected to the placenta via the umbilical cord. It's basically um, like an organ that sort of is the uh, the thing that allows the person who is pregnant with the baby to do the things that the baby needs, but like translates it into stuff that the baby can use. Right. And the way the placenta is formed is when an egg is fertilized, it starts dividing and then after about five-ish days, it has created enough cells to form a structure called a blastocyst, which kind of looks like a sphere of cells with a small clump of cells at one pole or mm-hmm. another. Um, and basically at this point, it has kind of two types of cell types in there. One is called the embryoblast, which is basically a small blob of cells, the small blob of cells, and that goes on to form the embryo and the amniotic sac. And then Holla. the other one is the trophoblast, which is the outer ring of cells that forms the sphere. And that's the those are the ones that facilitate um, implanting of the placenta into the or 
implanting of the blastocyst into the uterus and then that forms the placenta. Yes. Um, and the implantation of the blastocyst basically allows for, um, once the placenta develops, it allows for maternal blood, so the mother's blood, to flow into the placenta. And that's right. where you need that to happen for nutrient exchange, waste gas elimination, exchange, and gas exchange. Kind of yeah. And placental abruption is something that happens basically in the second, before the second stage of labor is complete. And so, it's, it's not good, placental abruption. No, it's very bad. It's bad. And it basically means that the placenta separates from the lining of the uterus. Yeah. And when we're talking about the second stage of labor, labor is kind of divided into three stages. The first one starts when labor starts. And then it <laughs> Stage ends. Stage one is the beginning. Right. The first one is the starts at the beginning, and then it ends when the cervix is fully dilated, which is yeah. 10 centimeters. Yeah. And then there's two phases in there. We're not going to get like too much into it, but it, there's the latent phase, which can take like a long time, like 20 yes. hours, um, especially if you've never had if a child before, right. like had a baby before. And then the active phase, which can still take like several hours, um, but that's when you get a lot more rapid contractions and stuff like that. Um, and once your cervix is fully dilated, you enter stage two. Yep. So that starts when your cervix is dilated to 10 centimeters and it ends with the delivery of a baby. Yeah. Um, typically, this is usually less than like three hours if you've never had a baby before. And then if you've had babies before it's usually less than two hours remember when we stage. were residents and we so we we'll talk about this a little bit later but we used to attend deliveries and we could look at the board on labor and delivery and one of the things that they would always have is they would say you know how long has it been since labor mm -hmm. started and they'd also have the number of the dilation so you could sort of like plan the next few hours of your life <laughs> Right. Just by so going through kind the of board, like try to guess. Like yeah, who's, being like she's where probably going to be soon. Next. This one's not yep. for a while. Oh, this is the first baby. Oh, this is the eighth baby. Like that baby could come at any moment. Yep. And then um, the last one is stage three, which starts at the delivery of the baby and then ends with the delivery of the placenta. Yeah. So the placenta is usually spontaneously expelled between like five to 30 minutes after the baby is delivered. Mm -hmm. And then the longer it remains in the uterus, the like greater the chance that there is going to be postpartum hemorrhage, which just means bleeding after you've given birth. Yeah. Um, and so a placental abruption, like I said, is when the placenta separates from the lining of the uterus before the second stage of labor is complete. So the second stage, like we said, ends with the delivery of the baby. And the reason right. why this is really important is because the placenta is the thing that is letting the baby functionally, like what Bella says, breathe, right? Because that's yeah. gas exchange. Yeah. So if the placenta separates, what that means is it doesn't have access anymore to the maternal blood supply. Yep. And so the baby can't do any gas exchange and can't get nutrients, can't eliminate waste, etc. And so if that happens before the baby is delivered, that can cause a lot of issues. And compromises oxygen delivery to the baby as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and so there are risk factors on both sides for a placental abruption. Um, a lot of it is related to, like, I think the big ones are really related to blood pressure. So high maternal blood pressure is mm -hmm. a big one. Smoking or cocaine use during pregnancy, both of which also affect blood pressure. Yeah. And then, um, like, previous placental abruptions and increased maternal age, 
which in OBGYN is greater than 35, <laughs> increases your risk of placental abruption. Um, and then the pregnancy itself can have certain risk factors that make it more likely too. like if you are having more than one baby, so twins, triplets, etc. If there is something called polyhydramnios, which just means there's too much fluid or like excessive fluid um, in the amniotic sac. Something called sudden uterine decompression, which is kind of related to the polyhydramnios because it basically just means like if the fluid, if the amniotic fluid volume decreases suddenly, then like the loss of volume can cause the placenta to detach yeah. because of like just the change in like pressure, the mechanics, the mechanics of it all. Yeah, the mechanics yeah. of it. Um, and then like trauma to the abdomen and things like that. Yeah. I think the um, idea is that like, you know, like you said before, like we you have to grow the placenta, right? Mm -hmm. So it needs to create itself. So anything that gets that can compromise the way that blood vessels grow is going to yeah. compromise the way that the placenta grows and is attached to the uterus. So yeah. just like is, smoking like is bad said, for implanted. your regular. Yeah. Just like smoking is bad for yeah. your regular arteries. It's also bad for this. High blood pressure also impacts the way that your regular arteries grow and react. So also we'll do this. And if you and there's other things that like if you've had previous C-sections, stuff like that, where you have mm -hmm. other like mechanical things that might make it so that the placenta isn't like perfectly attached, then you're at, basically at risk of having an abruption. Yeah. And if you do have an abruption, they there's ways that we like clinically uh, describe them. So like there's different ways the placenta can separate, right? So those are kind of called either complete, self-explanatory, um, yeah. partial or marginal, which just means like a portion of it detaches, or central, which is where the detachment doesn't happen at the edges, but more like right in the in, middle. It's contained within. The essentially, ideally, is is kind of like a big disc that's probably when it attached looks to like the a uterus, jellyfish, like a flat jellyfish. Yeah, and it's like about the size of like your hand, maybe. I don't know. It's a little bit bigger. Than a little that. bigger. It's maybe like, like a, two hands. It's like a dinner plate also our hands are small so it's kind of like yeah a dinner plate is good yeah it's not like, like a, a giant one in a fancy restaurant but like a standard dinner plate size. <laughs> you already yeah. had, you're modifying the size again anyway yep. it's like a plate and so like you know if it if it separates right in the middle then it's like you know it's the central part of it so you have a central abruption right. and then and then it's so and then it's classified by like severity of bleeding which is basically like you know mild, moderate, severe, severe. etc. Yeah. is how they kind of stage it. Um, and the issue is that if the bleeding is severe, this is an emergency, yeah. right? Because like the, the oxygen supply to the fetus is compromised and the yep. mother is bleeding somewhere. Like yes. both of those things Everybody are bad. Everybody is in, in a bad spot. Right. So like you have bleeding, you have the possibility of like the baby not having any oxygen and you have the risk of both mother and baby dying in this yeah. situation. Um, the problem is, is that it's also like, it's kind of like de definitive diagnosis happens after you examine the placenta, like once it has been delivered. Yeah. So up until that point, it's basically a clinical evaluation. So in the second half of pregnancy, if a woman, a pregnant woman shows up and she is bleeding this is something you think about it's not the yeah. only cause of vaginal bleeding but it's definitely one of the things that would be on your list that you would want to like evaluate for and that mostly means like you know is her blood pressure low is her heart rate high like yeah. is she showing signs that she has of blood hemorrhage. loss somewhere yeah. 
And then you do the things that you would normally do anyway when a pregnant woman presents for evaluation, which is you assess her and then you also assess the fetus and see how they're doing. And so you're looking for signs of like fetal distress. Are they showing like elevated heart rate or low or heart low rate? Heart rate which something would that's be very, very concerning. Bad. Yep. Um, and then like sometimes the uterus might be really hard and painful um, on exam, but like you can use an ultrasound. People talk about using the ultrasound too, but the issue with that is like if the bleeding is fresh, then that blood actually looks very similar to the placenta around it. So it's hard to tell on ultrasound. So what right. they say is if you do see it, then it's there. But if you don't see it, it that doesn't it might mean still that it's be not there. happening. Yeah. It might still be there. Um, and so then basically you just like, you manage based on the severity. And if it, if anybody is distressed, if the mother is distressed, if the baby is distressed, if they're Vital signs look bad, then you have to act really quickly, and oftentimes that means an emergency C-section. And just deliver the baby. And deliver the baby. Yeah. Um, the placental abruption also increases, like, because you're already bleeding, so it increases your risk of postpartum hemorrhage also, mm-hmm. which is one of the top five causes of maternal mortality. It causes, like, a quarter of maternal deaths um, globally. Yeah. And, like, 11% in the U.S., which I was, like... It's that substantial. Yeah. Um, and so postpartum hemorrhage means, as you might imagine, excessive bleeding during intrapartum, which is during birth, or postpartum, or right which is after birth, period. Yeah. Um, there are specific volumes they use to kind of like like clinical criteria, which is interesting because I'm kind of like people are really bad at estimating volumes. Yes. So it's kind of understood that your estimation is going to be usually low. Low. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and postpartum hemorrhage, when that happens, there's there's this mnemonic that you use and that it's the four T's. So it's the common causes and things that you think about are tone, trauma, tissue, and thrombin. And tone is the one that is the most common cause. So, And what that means is like the most common cause is something called uterine atony. Atony is how I say it. Atony. But I feel like that's such a weird word. I don't atony. know. Atony. And and that means lack of uterine tone, which means yes. like weakness or lack of strength of the yeah. uterus. And this can happen with like general anesthesia. It can happen if you've been in labor for like a long time. And it can happen if you have chorioamnionitis, which is basically an infection during this like birthing process, such that the infection is like in the amniotic fluid and stuff like that. Yeah. And the idea and is that like after you've delivered the baby and hopefully delivered the placenta, like the uterus needs to contract back down one of the coolest things about the placenta is like the the interface that it has with the uterus um it's extremely vascular like there's it's it's a lot of like blood like these little like lakes and things almost it's not necessarily like your traditional just like capillaries but it's like this very vascular but very people talk about it as like fingers almost because it just looks like because you're talking about like villi so like finger-like projections yeah. and there's like blood all up in between them and there's like blood vessels and that's that how the like that's how the sides. gas and the nutrition nutrients and all that stuff that's how it gets exchanged so it's like right. super duper lots of blood there and that's why when you have an abruption like you can have just all this blood exposed like there's this huge layer of blood yeah. that can just be exposed um and that's why you bleed a lot but the same thing so if your uterus doesn't like contract back contract. down yeah after you deliver the baby then like those spots can still bleed. Yeah, because they're still just open Open. now. Especially if your placenta, like, because the expectation is that, like, your placenta is going to be delivered very quickly after the baby is delivered. And 
that during that process, your uterus is contracting back down. Yeah. And that kind of happens almost simultaneously because as the placenta is then delivered, that means that it is detached from the wall and your uterus is contracting so yeah. that the muscles in the uterine wall can close off all of those like little finger like projections and whatever blood vessels are left. Um, and I mean, it's if honestly that doesn't a happen, It's incredible. It is. It is ridiculous. That yeah. Any of us are alive. Anyway. Yeah. Um, so like. The main recommendations for preventing this is like active management of the third stage of labor, which, if you will recall, like ends with the delivery of the placenta. placenta. Right. So which like, was very frequently for me the medical student's job. Yeah. Yes. The o- which, OBGYN honestly, intern got to or the OBGYN <laughs> resident got to deliver the baby. Yeah. And the medical student. I mean, was there for the placenta. I thought it was kind of cool as a medical student, honestly. It was it's pretty something neat. to do. But um. The, basically, what you do is you administer oxytocin because that makes the uterus contract. Yeah. You can do what's called a uterine massage, which is literally or a fundal massage. And that literally just means that you like and put your like, hand on the woman's belly. This. Yeah. Yeah. And you just kind of like push down on the uterus because you can feel where the uterus is. And yeah. you're just kind of like you just kind of encouraging it. it to usually contract, it's like basically. one of the it's usually like an OB nurse that does that part of it. They just yeah. like massage. Or actually, yeah. the person then, delivering the placenta oftentimes yeah, will have their hand. delivering the placenta. You yeah, do it at the true. same time. That's almost. true. And then you do umbilical cord traction if the placenta has not been delivered. What that yeah. means is you just pull gently on the umbilical cord to encourage the placenta yeah. to So, like, you deliver so the you baby, deliver you put the clamps on the umbilical cord, cut, baby goes to where they go. Now there's this yep. other part of the umbilical cord left. You put a clamp yep. on it. Medical student, it's you a, grab it. It's already it. clamped because you, you cut between the clamps. Yeah. So you got that clamp, grab it between your fingers, and then just gently, gently, but... While massaging the uterus. While massaging, just just let it kind of... And most of the time, you can feel it, like, separating, yeah. you know? Yeah. You don't want to pull, like, too hard and also then, like, rip that cord, because then you... Yep. That's bad. That's not good. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to be that person. Yeah. Yeah. Usually what happens is, like, they tell you as a medical student, they're like, pull gently because you don't want to do that. And then you pull and they're like, pull harder than that. I know. 100 percent. 100 percent. You're like, OK. And then as a medical student, usually it was my job to also get the cord blood sample. So that's something mm-hmm. that you do from that is that so they would hand mm-hmm. you this like enormous 60 cc syringe and be like, <laughs> now get the blood from you're like, oh, my gosh, you're like trying to hold it with one hand and you've got the syringe in the other hand. And you're like trying to figure out how to do a one hand syringe technique, which is yeah. I can do it now. But like back then, yeah, at not the time, the easiest when you're a medical student, you can't do anything easily. And then like. they're also like, now get the arterial sample, which the art, the uterine arteries are like tiny they're very yep. small and they're so you're so just like small. poking around like trying it's oh medical and then you have to examine the placenta because again yes. you die if there was an abruption you're looking for signs that that was something that happens so you're and you want to like make sure you got all like of it that. yeah yeah and you want to make sure you you didn't leave any placenta behind because yeah. again one of the four t's is tissue yeah. that's retained placenta placental tissue is one of the things that can cause hemorrhage and then you look at things like how many blood vessels are in the umbilical cord and stuff which is a specific has like specific things that we think about if yeah. it is not the number that we expect, but we're not going to yeah. get into that here. No, we're not going to get into that. Um, so I think that if I were putting this all together, I mean, the, the chances that what Bella actually died from was postpartum hemorrhage is really high. I think 100% she died from <laughs> postpartum hemorrhage. Which is unfortunate <laughs> because it's like, you know what? You could, probably could have saved her. Like Edward was against turning her into a vampire for the longest time. The reason they have to turn into her turn her into a vampire is this whole thing with the Volturis, and she like always wanted to be a vampire. 
And even Rosalie, like, tries to talk her out of it in the third movie. But, like, they probably could have saved her and, like, given her the time to think about becoming a vampire a little more. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that's true. Because, like, they literally did, they just stopped doing anything about anything. They, like, did their, like, Like, (laughs) dumb chest compressions and then just left her. But even before that, they were literally just, like, cut her open and tear left her, open open. her uterus with my teeth and then we're just gonna now attend to the baby and can let you, you imagine die, can guess. you imagine being like carlisle and you finally get home and you just have to like <laughs> deal with everything that you see and you, you go in there and you that's the scene that we didn't see uh, like that's why we missed the whole thing is what happened is carlisle came in and he was like what, what? did you guys what do happened here? here they're like she, he's like why is her belly still open what did you do with all the yeah. morphine why is there soul rock in here? Yeah. And she and then and he's like, I guess I have to sew this up now. Like, he must have sewn it up. Do you he probably did. He probably just didn't know what else to do and that would help I think, him relax. I think either way, you probably would. One, yeah. because it's respectful. Yeah. And two, because even if they were preparing for a funeral, you still like you still do that. Like you don't just leave people. Yeah. He had to do all this work, like get that. her cleaned up, and like I guess he would have do you think he would have examined the baby first? I guess he would have tended to Bella first and then examined the baby. I, I think Carlisle is well, like... Well, Bella's dead now at this point. I guess, so yeah. Like, so attend to the baby first. And he's probably like, oh my gosh, I can't believe like this thing is alive. Yeah. Probably he ran into the He was the, the that, most like, bewildered about this like, baby. What? <laughs> <laughs> of anyone. This further supports my theory that Carlisle is actually a bad doctor. Anyway. <laughs> All right. So should we talk? So we talked about that. Um, I wanted I wanted to talk a little about C sections because technically Bella did have a C section. Yeah, um, and it's actually very interesting. I think the history of medicine is interesting. So a a, a C section. So the C in C section stands for a cesarean, which um, I don't know if everybody knows that, but why does it stand for a cesarean? So I read a nice article from the National Library of Medicine that talks about a little bit of the history of C-section. So for one thing, the idea of cutting open the abdomen to like get a baby out is a very like ancient idea. And it's like seen across like many, many cultures. They talk about it in like in, in mythology, like Greek mythology, um, like ancient Indian mythology, Chinese. Uh, lots of cultures have this, which is like not that surprising. I think in my mind, it's not that surprising. Right. Um, and supposedly there might be a record of uh, like an, an ancient, like in, in ancient China, an actual like C-section that delivered a live birth on a human. Um where, but like, you know, the actual details of it are a little bit controversial. But um, the idea is that uh, the C-section, uh, the, the word, the cesarean part of it comes from the, uh, derived from the surgical birth of Julius Caesar. Um, and so the idea was that uh, it's, it's very, it, it, it's like a little bit wishy-washy when you like, kind of read it so the idea was that the only time that you were like performing these was when you were like basically sure that the mother was gonna die and you were just trying to like save the baby you know like now we do c-sections because it is helpful when you have certain like pregnancy specifically like pregnancy related complications that can go away if you just end the pregnancy which is delivering the baby Right. right right when you know when you're at that point in pregnancy and so um so they think that this is what happened, like, with Julius Caesar, and that's how it got the name, like, Caesarian section. Okay. Um, and then there's other, like, theories where maybe it's not necessarily, like, specifically 
associated with like Julius Caesar, but other Latin words like I don't know how to say that word. You're the Latin person here. <laughs> C A. I mean, I assume Caedare. Caedare. That sort of like just became Caesarea over time, or which means cut, and then caesones, uh, sure. which is like uh, babies who were born by Latin operation. Latin so it's yeah. just. So then moving forward in time, there's like this account in the 1500s of this guy from Switzerland who was a cow farmer. So he was like a, they called him a sow gelder, which I was like, I don't know what those mean. But isn't gelding like sows or pigs, right? Oh, yeah. Sows are pigs. Gelding is like when you, isn't that when you remove testicles? I don't know. I didn't look at it. Isn't a gelding like a castrated animal? I don't know. You're saying a lot of words at me that I don't know. Um, I'm going to look that up while you talk about this. So anyway, so he's had he he is supposedly uh, this guy, Jacob Neufer, supposedly did this to his wife. So his wife was in labor for many days. um, And despite the help of 13 midwives, um, she was unable to deliver the baby. And so her husband eventually got permission from like local authorities to attempt to do this. And supposedly she lived and the baby lived and she gave birth to like more children, like five in total. Um, And supposedly the baby that was born by the C-section lived to be like 70 years old. So the story wasn't recorded until like 82 years later. So they're like question is authenticity. (laughs) But the 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 idea is not that crazy that like people who regularly did operations and stuff on animals would be the ones who would even try to attempt this. You know, that makes because, sense because you you would have probably done a similar process on a farm animal. Right. Like you have a known, similar like, uterus, like babies are in there, like all of that kind of and stuff. And like the idea of just like understanding anatomy and techniques yeah. and like all that kind of stuff. So maybe the 1500s okay. was another one. Okay. Gelding, what is a gelding? According to the Oxford Dictionary, I just think the wording of this is hilarious. I'm just going to read it to you. A castrated animal, especially a male horse. And I was like, especially? <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just an interesting word choice right there. Yes. Anyway. All right. So then um, what happens next? So fast forward to the 1600s. Um, this is when like, so basically what happens is like most of baby delivering is done by midwives for like most of right. human history. Then in like 1600s, 1700s, 1800s, and then especially like especially the 19th and 20th centuries sort of when Mm -hmm. medicine starts to become a profession, all these sorts of things like more and more like men start taking it over and it becomes like you start having obstetricians doing stuff rather than midwives. And so they start like, you know, developing instruments like forceps and stuff like that to sort of like deliver babies that maybe in other situations would not have like survived birth. Um, And so they start taking like more professional control. And then over the next like 300 years or so, you can see the like increasing role of the like professional medical doctor and a more diminishing role of the midwife. Although, of course, like we still use midwives a lot. Um, Then in the 18th and 19th centuries, that was when like surgeons, anatomists became like really, really like people started examining bodies for real. And, like, creating, uh, you know, like, textbooks and stuff of anatomy, developing surgical techniques. um, And because of that, you started having, like... So, even though people were, like, cutting open uteruses to deliver babies, people were starting to, like, develop it as an actual, like, surgical technique. 
Yeah. The development of those techniques is really horrible. It is. Because it was also like they used enslaved women and cut them open without anesthesia and stuff yes. to learn about a lot of this. Yes. Yeah. If you want to learn about that, you just have to look up uh, the story of J. Marion Sims, who was an American physician um, that did that um, mm. and is like one of the it, it's it's like one of those things where it's like he's, you know, put up there in terms of people who are very important to the field of, of obstetrics. But then you also have to think about like how it is that he did what yeah. he did. And it was yeah. like doing it to people against their will. Um, so they developed a lot of techniques, but they also, uh, even though that they were doing them, had not the best results initially. And they had a fact in there that was that uh, between the years of 1787 and 1876, not a single Jesus. woman in Paris survived a C-section. Oh my God, that's terrible. So you probably that is almost a hundred years. No, like. so you probably didn't want it happening. So one of the things that I thought was Good interesting, dream. one of the things I thought was interesting was they actually didn't believe, so they didn't have like dissolvable suture like we do now. Um, sure. So they didn't think that it would be good to sew the uterus closed after you're done with the c-section so they used to just leave them open um and so <laughs> well, potentially that might have and and like close you know the fascial layers in the skin yeah so that might have contributed to this high rates of why. maternal mortality um but then j marion sims had started using silver wires right because silver also known for its like you know like antibiotic antimicrobial properties kind of properties um, yeah so he started using silver wires which then uh became like a technique that people sort of used um and so then there, the huh. the success rates started to get a little bit better because at least they were just like closing the uterus right which is and a this good was, thing. was this was, was this was like around the same time or like soon before i guess maybe the whole like um oh god who was it the hand washing oh semmelweis or lister yeah yes this is the yeah. whole this was mortality around thing was also yeah so all of these are happening in different places but at the same time like the late 1800s right, right. were when a lot of these a lot of, like, like medical things happen medical, but yeah joseph lister yeah. comes up with like the idea of like sterilizing things and whatever and then you have semolize that comes up with the hand washing thing and yeah all these things are kind of happening at the same time so then the next big uh phase which is actually this is also very interesting is in the 20th century you start having like more and more people um living in cities um mm -hmm. and not having access to two things sunlight and good nutrition and so hmm. you start having lots of people who are growing up like very vitamin D deficient and developing like rickets, right? Which oh, ultimately is like bad for your bones. So explain explain what rickets is to everybody. So I mean rickets rickets <laughs> is a I mean rickets is what happens when you have like severe vitamin D deficiency. And yep. uh you have your bones become weak, they don't grow as well. You get lots of these like various sequelae which some of them i forgot there's like the rosary like you get like yes the coquetic or the these knots yeah, the that kind of rosary yeah that develop um you're generally like your stature is shorter um, yeah your legs your bones tend to be bowed like yeah. they 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 end up being kind of soft and malformed because yeah. of the lack of calcium and stuff you're and like, so like your skull does a weird thing where you get frontal bossing right. like you, your head right. gets big but so what happened though was because of that Lots of young women had um, the their pelvis, their actual like pelvic bone was not as good for huh. a successful vaginal delivery. And oh, so for a period of time, especially like in cities, 
uh, you just they just did C-sections like a hmm. lot of them. Um, and because they weren't getting like they weren't milk wasn't safe to drink all the time because it was sure. having to be like shipped. You know, like it's just things this that we take a, for this granted. Was like, yeah, it wasn't like mass pasteurization right. and like availability of exactly of all of that. so this yeah. is like the early 1900s and so there's like things that we take for granted which is like good milk ability to go outside and have you know get sunlight uh mm-hmm. not making children work in factories <laughs> like that kind of stuff <laughs> honestly um and like public health uh you know like pe- pediatrics as a specialty like all of these things right. um didn't exist then and so they were doing lots and lots of c-sections then over time as the rickets problem started to go away because of all of these other like public health measures like pasteurizing milk so that people could get vitamin d calcium all of those mm-hmm. things from like a, fortifying a cereals like all of that all kind of, of stuff. that stuff happened so we don't really see rickets like that frequently at all like when we do it's very interesting because we're like oh it's this disease but the interesting thing is that like the rate of c-sections didn't like decrease um hmm. like as much as it should have knowing that the reason right decreased if, if the reason substantially. why it increased was this then you wouldn't need to do it anymore once that stopped being an issue. Right. So after right. World War II, um, basically, it, you know, it was around that time that, like, all of these things started to get better, but the C-section rate still hasn't, like, gone down, didn't go down to the rate before all of these rickets problems. Interesting. Yeah. I was, I, was, I thought that was very, very interesting. Yeah. The other there thing... Some, there are some interesting kind of, like, societal perceptions, too, of, like, vaginal birth versus C-section. Yeah that has have changed over time similarly to like the societal perceptions of formula versus breastfeeding yeah like that is also like an attitude that like at one point everybody was like why would you breastfeed give your baby formula yeah like that was an attitude that people had and and now we've gone like the total other way yeah yeah um but yeah so i thought that that was really really interesting and then the other just last thing to add in all of this is that over the same period of time, like 1800s to, you know, now, the anesthesia techniques have become way, way, way better. So, like, people started to do more C-sections so. when they developed, like, ether. And I, be- I believe Queen Victoria delivered her kids with, um, oh, my God. What's the other one? Ether? Chloroform? Chloroform. Yeah, she used chloroform. <laughs> I-, I was like, chloramphenicol? I was like, no, that's not it. That's... <laughs> It's not the right word. Chloroform. So like ether, chloroform. And then then and now people can get epidurals. They don't even have to get general anesthesia to do a C-section. So like our abilities to do them safely have become much, much, much better compared to, you know, whenever. But all of these things sort of go together in terms of like what the the history of like C-sections. But it's interesting because it's a very old surgical thing. Yeah, that is way older than I thought. And it makes sense, right? Because it's like just a thing that happens to, you know, because being pregnant is not a disease, right? We like to think of medicine as like treating disease, but being pregnant is just a normal part of life. And, but we have a lot of medical ways to manage it. Um, So it's not totally crazy that somebody was like, what if I just, yeah, exactly. It's like, it's not totally crazy to be like, what if we just cut it open? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think like that, like the idea the fact when you talked about it being like very much rooted in a lot of different cultures and in like the folk tales and stories and stuff that people told, that also makes a lot of sense to me because it's not like because when women get when people get pregnant, you can see where 
that is happening. Like yeah. it's in their abdomen. Right. It's, it's not, very obvious so like, where it is. It's reasonable that at some point would be like, there's a baby in there. So like, like it's in there. Ostensibly, know how if it comes I out. needed to cut through there, there would be a baby. Like that's where it would be. <laughs> like, where the baby is. Exactly. Like, they're not going to be like, let me put some leashes on your arm and see if the baby comes out. I mean, maybe they tried that, but like. 100% somebody tried it that. It seems reasonable that you would be like, there's a giant abdominal mass where just for cut a baby. It. So like, and also, so many yeah. people died in childbirth that somebody must have been like, yeah. "All right, this is dead now. Why don't we just see what's happening?" Mm, that's true. Anyways, so I will. We will it's put a, a link to this article it, from the uh, National Library of Medicine that goes through all of this. Um, but it's very, very interesting. Um, and quickly, we can talk about you know we're pediatricians and we got to experience birth on a number of occasions <laughs> during our residency. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think um, we both thought it was one of the more one of the fun things that we got to do, even though none of us do this now. Um, yeah, I think I think that like I think it's definitely a side that you don't see a lot because the focus of it being portrayed in like TV and movies is definitely on like the person giving birth. Yeah. And then like the three month old baby. And that's kind of it. Yeah. But like there's there are multiple teams because like the person who's taking care of the baby should the baby need medical care is obviously not the ob right because yeah. they're busy they need to focus on right their now. patient which is the person who gave birth yeah and so like part of pediatrics training is we all go through um newborn nursery which yep. is which is basically like low risk normal pregnancy deliveries yeah um and what you would expect like normal healthy babies and then NICU which is the neonatal intensive care unit which is like the higher risk cases babies that you know have congenital issues or premature that will need to be managed or are premature have a number of um, issues that we, just need higher level of monitoring after birth right right and so like we go through both of those um like NICU more than once oftentimes yeah and and you learn a lot about the labor and delivery from the pediatric side and it's it is fun. Like, I enjoy it because it's a lot of hands-on stuff. You get to, like, you know, play with babies Yeah, you get and help to, them. It's also, like, I mean... And everybody's not, so happy, Not usually. to, like, really like, get, you know... Remember how, as we talked about, right after Bella delivers the baby, there's, like, that moment, you know, where she's like, yeah. oh, the baby. In a normal... In, in, a, in, a, in a delivery that's, like, generally gone well or whatever, like, you get to just, like, live in that moment... For like a few minutes, <laughs> like with like yeah. a new mom and a new dad, and like a lot of times they're both there, Granted, and you're just also we're usually there. not there if that's the case. But no, sometimes, <laughs> but like for a C, for like a for like a scheduled routine C section, like true. we have to be there, so may so, as well like so have like, fun. Yeah, that's true. So like normally, when like if there are no issues with the pregnancy or the delivery, and and the baby is like full term, and there's nothing that you know that is going to be wrong or whatever yeah then once the baby is born usually whoever delivers them just lets them do what we call skin to skin with the mom and that just means that you like take the baby and you kind of like just put them on mom's chest yeah because it has been shown that that is actually like really good for both the mom and the baby the babies just like relax like yeah they completely relax they breathe well they don't they thermoregulate with the mom yeah like like everything is really great, so that's usually what we like. It want stimulates to do. like milk production. A lot of times, like uh, you will like breastfeed within uh, like not too long after yeah. delivering a baby. It's just like really great for everybody. It's basically. great for everybody. It's wonderful. Yeah, but pediatrics 
gets called, um, like including NPs, like everybody who works on like the newborn nursery side, basically. A, yeah. A pediatrics person gets called when there are risk factors in either the mom the pregnancy, or the baby that might result in the baby being born needing a little bit more help. Yeah. And then also, like, sometimes just in C-sections and stuff because they're doing surgery. So you, they're, like, yeah. sometimes it's just and another person there who's the going normal, to, like, attend to the baby. They don't go through all the, like, stages of labor in the same way when you're having, right. a, you know. Right. So And so kind of the way that it happens is, like, there is just like another person in the room whose sole focus and like maybe a mini team is the baby. Yeah. So when we're in the room, that's if we us. get called to delivery, that's us. <laughs> so if we get called to delivery, what happens is like you walk in, if it is a vaginal delivery, you kind of like stand at the foot of the bed, yeah. like close to the OB person, but not like but not right like up too next close. to them or anything. Yeah. And then you just stand there and you like wait with a blanket. Like when, when it is about time, you wait there with a blanket. And then as soon as the baby comes out, they like hand cut the umbilical the cord and then just turn and hand, like drop it into your arms yeah. and Basically, then you just carry like, it to the blink, warmer. You have to get that <laughs> yeah. baby. Yeah. And that was one of the things that, that they used to like, we used to laugh about in medical school because like the thing that you usually catch the baby in is like just a giant blanket or like a drape of some yeah, kind. Yeah, it's like a blue drape. And yeah. so you're holding your arms out. And you have this drape over them to create a it's little like they bit of like see a where sling. Your arms are. And everybody is like, do not drop the baby. Because that would be really <laughs> terrible. I have never dropped a baby. Me neither. Yeah. But I don't think I've ever actually seen or heard of anyone actually That's dropping true. the baby. Although I'm sure historically it has happened. I'm sure. I, it, at one it's point actually or kind of, they actually do it pretty nicely. There's a way to that you do it so that like the baby basically is never not touching someone's hands. Yeah. So like you you get the baby, you take it to that warmer that we talked about, the yeah. giraffe warmer that has a little bed and some blankets and you usually have stuff all set up already. And the vast majority of time, like the baby doesn't need anything from us. Like the vast majority of the time by you by the time you take the baby to the warmer, it's like crying. It is like it's awake moving. and crying. Yeah. And you're like good. And then you just weigh it, you wipe it off a little bit and you give it back to You mom. just like, like you kind of just like clean it up at a certain point. You're just like yeah. I'm just going to make you look nice. <laughs> yeah. we're gonna put and your you little hat on up. we're gonna weigh you i'm gonna keep you here for five minutes so i can assign your apgars um and then we'll just <laughs> move on from that yeah and then the few babies that like the babies that do need intervention the vast majority of them only need what we call psds which is like the first thing that you would try which is oh god position, position stimulate dry and suction oh yeah and I so say, yeah, and yeah, all yeah. that means is like you want to position it so that the baby like his head isn't like bent forward or something yeah. like that. You want to make it easy for them to breathe. You yeah. want to stimulate them, which is usually like goes along with drying because you kind of rub them with towels. You just rub and them stuff with the towel to, a lot. Yeah, yeah. Just to like wake them up a little bit, basically. Yeah. And then suction if you need to. And that just means that if there's a lot of like fluid in its nose or mouth, mouth or whatever, yeah. like, it's usually like in their mouth, like out. right above, and you can hear it and you just go like get it right out of there with that little blue yep. bulb syringe. Yeah. Yeah. But the reason why they will call pediatricians or the pediatrics department to be there is because after that sometimes you do need to intervene more aggressively and yes. that includes like up to intubating a baby if yeah. you need to like if they're not breathing on their sometimes own sometimes it's and, intubating and the baby putting it giving them like drugs if they are yeah not doing well if they're not having a good uh heart rate or that kind of thing yeah um, and so we get and doing called a lot of stuff. because like 
you always want to prepare for possible resuscitation. Yeah. Right. So like the protocol that we use is called neonatal resuscitation protocol. And it, and similarly to like resuscitation of adults, it just has a very like specific sequential protocol that you follow yeah. when you go evaluate a baby. And there's a very clear plan of action anytime you go and you just prepare. Like you have everything ready, even though you know that most of the time you won't use any of it. Yeah. And that's like what you, you have the you have all of your intubating materials ready to go if you need it. Yep. Uh, we all have walkie talkies. Uh, so yeah. that if we needed to call for help, like if we need the NICU fellow or if we need another NP or something like that, if the baby's really sick and needs like uh, like IVs or something, we usually put them right in the umbilical cord, basically, where where mm-hmm. that was, because it's like an easy... Because it's still fresh. It's still fresh and, and open, and so. you can just put it in there. Um, so they might need to put lines in there uh, if you need to give like medications or anything like that. Um, and usually if all that's happening, you have like a team with you, like a respiratory therapist. Right. And you right. have another once, nurse once to help you. it looks like it's going to go that way, you call everybody. You call everybody. Because you're, you're resuscitating. Yeah, now you're like, you I need, need all more the help. Then, yeah. And then usually if that's happening, you don't get afforded the opportunity to do like the skin to skin and stuff like that. You just want right. to stabilize the baby so you can get them up to the NICU and continue whatever it is you're doing. Yeah. And and then the other part that you will hear uh, people talk about is APGAR scores. Yep. Um, which basically, so the APGAR score is basically just an evaluation tool that we use to assess how newborn babies are doing. Yeah. Um, it really it just, assesses it the transition. management. Yeah. Yeah. It assesses the and transition so, from in intrauterine environment to extrauterine environment. Yeah. And you do you do this evaluation at least twice. So like at one minute and in five minutes you do an APGAR score and the trend also tells you something right so like if it starts off not being great for whatever reason but then immediately goes to normal you're kind of like okay Okay. that's reassuring yeah like the trajectory is good um and then if the APGAR score at five minutes is still not great then you repeat it every five minutes for up to like 20 minutes based on the and if you're worried about anything you're just like you know what we're gonna go to the ICU because we just gotta we gotta see what's happening to you because something is not right exactly yeah. And for a, when I was like, I read down, so like the APGAR score is based on you look at the baby's color, you look at their heart rate, you look at their, it's called reflex or irritability, but it's just like how responsive they are to yeah. you and like annoyed that, annoyed that you're like messing with them. And then you look at their muscle tone and how they're breathing. Yeah. And when there was a part of me that was like, does APGAR stand for something? It does but not. No. It's it was, Virginia it's, APGAR's it name. It was created by Virginia APGAR. Yeah. That is why it is called that. Yeah. But so I was looking, who, when I was looking at the, who when I was thinking about the criteria, I was like, but some people will still yeah, capitalize it cap- like capitalize it's an acronym it. yeah. in the medical record, and you're yeah. like, no, 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 it's someone's name. I think it's almost often, it's almost always all capitalized. I like think it's an that acronym. I had to have a third APGAR, like me when I was oh, born. When you were born, yeah, <laughs> you personally, yeah, me personally. I think I had a third. Not APGAR. just like for fun, you did third APGAR. Like the one minute APGAR was not that good, and so then I had I had to have a five, and then I had to have a ten. So, oh, yeah, I think I only had two. I ha- Most babies, how it's many? Like so you can eight, get up nine. to ten points in an APGAR. How many mm-hmm. times do you think you've given out of ten? Zero. Zero. I think I've given out. I think I gave out like two tens in my entire residency. Maybe I gave out like one ten. And we used to go to a lot of deliveries. I feel like I almost always like gave probably a hundred something like that. And yeah, we don't even do this least. anymore. That was just during and residency. And I like I did med school in parkland yeah like or at ut southwestern so i worked in parkland for like 
OBGYN and stuff. And so yeah. I've been to a lot, a lot of deliveries. deliveries like, yeah. <laughs> so like, I think yeah, I've I given it up I've twice. Given, it's always the hand. It's always the color. Yeah. It's the very it's tips color. of the fingers are yep. always a little blue. Yep. You know, they're never pink. Yeah. Anyway. They've never come out and they're just like completely pink. That's just, I'd maybe given like, I think at most two, but honestly, like probably zero, <laughs> like one or zero tens. <laughs> I, I think it's I'm, always yeah. like eight and nine. Eight and nine. Eight and nine. Nine and nine. I give out some nine and nines. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm too easy. I'm too easy of a grader. I'm like, <laughs> you did such a good job, baby. <laughs> You're doing great. You, gra- you graded Apgar's on a curve. On a curve. <laughs> Depending on the day. Be like, you did better than oh all the other gosh. babies today. You get a nine and a ten. I'm always like, how annoyed do you look with me right now? <laughs> not annoyed enough. I'm, I'm not annoyed enough. Some points. Taking up a point. <laughs> all right. So I think we've finally come to the end of our uh twilight what do we want to call it <laughs> adventure saga. journey saga I mean, it's a no, saga our twilight saga oh goodness yeah our personal we twilight finally sagas. talked about i will say that at the end of the saga i've still not seen or read any of the things <laughs> i know i have now seen all of them just because i felt like i needed to oh my gosh um okay but we can go to the resident lounge um okay go ahead so the resident lounge is where we talk about interesting things that we came across while we were doing research or like questions that we had um and i know you have something really interesting and i just have a question so i'm gonna go first okay my question is if the concern that they had well one if their only pregnant person that they were attending to has like this high risk unknown pregnancy situation like that everybody is concerned about why would Carlisle go out and go get blood? Why wouldn't somebody else go and have the well, doctor like, yeah. stay there? It like, doesn't make that any doesn't sense. That doesn't make any sense. One. And then two, if the concern is also that like vampires can't be around blood, although we're very selective apparently about what blood it is that affects them, why wouldn't they just hire a human doctor and pay him a lot of money because the Cullens are super rich? That part I get because in the sense that to anybody. That part doesn't make sense because they have done a pretty good job of hiding the fact that they're vampires from people that I feel like they could also do it in their own home. Like yeah. they could just have a guy come in. Yeah. Or a woman. I mean. And just <laughs> fool them. As some doctor of some variety and just be like, don't ask a lot of questions. We're going to yeah. give you a lot of money. We just need your help delivering this baby. Whatever it right. is. Right. And like, yeah, like you don't. You need to potentially explain some of the parameters and, like, don't let this baby bite you, I guess. But, like, don't – it's, like, you could – You could do you it. Could, there well, are especially if it, that you could have in place. If that this. person is also an assistant to Carlisle, because it does not make sense for Carlisle right. to need to leave the house. I think part of it is that they go out to hunt also because there's this whole werewolf thing where, like, after the baby is born, like – Jacob, like the werewolf vampire fight is like paused right now because Jacob is like protecting Bella. And that's the only reason the werewolves are not like going after the Cullens. But okay. so they're like, oh, as es- Esme, a Carlisle and whatever Kellen Lutz's vampire character name is, um, they go out <laughs> to hunt because like they haven't eaten in a while and they're like a little bit weak and they're like, we need to get strong for the werewolves but carlisle is the patriarch of but this at the family. same time like he doesn't need to leave the house to do that yeah like he doesn't need to leave yeah there's so many other vampires that could go out and hunt and like get stuff for like, him like pick yeah, him like, something I up i think i think like if we've gotten to the point where someone is ripping over someone's uterus with their teeth 
Like, you did not have enough plans in place for how concerned you were about this pregnancy. <laughs> exactly. Like, yeah. No, Carlisle should, should have, have stayed. Point. 100% Carlisle should have stayed. Yeah. yeah. That doesn't make any sense to me. Maybe I mean, Bella wouldn't have died. There's a lot of stuff about these movies that don't make sense to me, yeah, but whatever. Maybe Bella wouldn't have died. Um, so the thing that I found that was actually quite interesting. Yeah, this and is way more interesting. We don't have a ton of time, so I'm just going to give you the, like, TLDR version of it, was okay. in the course of reading about the history of C-sections, I learned about a person by the name of James Miranda Stewart Barry, who was a um, physician in the British Army uh, during colonial times, so in, like, the 1800s, uh, who performed the first, um, like, successful C-section by a British person, basically, while in South Africa. All right, great. This person was a physician in the British Army for a long time, was in various parts of the, you know, British Empire, South Africa, Jamaica, Malta, whatever, was, like, pretty well-regarded, was... uh, Known also not just for, like, being able to do C-sections, but not only did them for, like, the British, like, the colonizers that were in the place wherever he was stationed, (laughs) but also for, like, the people who were colonized. And so, like, Uh performed C-sections on, like, South African women or Jamaican women or whatever, and also was part of, like, the movement towards, like, better sanitation and all that stuff. So had some, like, public health stuff that he instituted wherever he went. Um, and basically served in the British army until they like made him leave to be like, you are old, you need to retire. So <laughs> not because Classic. he did anything bad or anything like that, but just because they were like, it's time. Like it is time. So this person retires in London uh, and then dies from dysentery in 1865. Okay. Which is like, what a classic 1800s death dysentery um (laughs) so then there's this controversy that comes out after this person dies which is that there's a woman who works for like they call her a charwoman which i i would just assume that this person like burns bodies i don't know exactly what charwoman does lays out (laughs) dead people I like um, that you just make guesses i don't know charwoman i feel like there's only so many things that could be um so a woman employed to clean houses or offices but why is she anyway <laughs> all right so um she was supposed to get like she was not being paid for her services and so she basically goes to like this person who was uh barry's physician and says hey your patient uh is a woman and like the physician is like um i don't think so like i've known this person for like so so long this is it's a man She's like, no, 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 I have the proof and was like, uh, and he, and she's like, if you, unless you want me to tell everybody, like you have to pay me. Um, and then he was like, well, I'm not going to do that. And so then she like went to the press and so then poor, poorly thought out plan. Yeah. So she like told everybody and the situation, like it was, it became public and all this sort of stuff. And so then like, why would she try to blackmail his doctor? She just needed somebody to pay her. Yeah, but it's just a terrible plan. I don't know. (laughs) So anyway, so she tries to do this. And then basically now historians have, because of this whole controversy, historians have like gone through to look through like letters that people that knew Dr. Barry uh, like had around that time and like tried to look at like his own like public record of like going to medical school and stuff like that. And so there is this theory um, that that has some substantiation that... um, that James Miranda Stewart Barry was 
was born as, uh, what did I say earlier? Margaret Ann Bulkley, who was uh, the niece of this like famous Irish artist. And some drama in Mm -hmm. her family happened and that potentially she either, it is very unclear if she was like, uh, like a, a trans man um, and that's what happened or if potentially at some point uh, decided to take on the persona of a man in order to do things like go to medical school and then at a certain point you just like can't get out of it it's unclear but they're making a I movie mean, about it it's a I, long time I'm to definitely commit see that movie but I yeah. think I think like I think I think that like <laughs> I think honestly the most likely explanation is that he was a trans man like probably but it's i mean i think i know that you can't really tell because like lack of records etc yeah but i i just kind of think that like and also lack of language to talk about it lack of language to like talk about this especially in the period and stuff like that but i'm kind of like he lived as a man like his entire life like he rose through the ranks of the british army and went to medical medical school and did all of these things it's not like he like it I think it would take honestly like more mental gymnastics for you for people to be like oh no it was a woman who just wanted to pretend to be a man here and there like that doesn't make any sense it makes way more sense that he is a trans man and so he was just living his life <laughs> like I don't know as he wanted to that's my opinion yeah yeah we'll see I haven't there's like a few books that there's there's actually not like a ton a ton that's been like written about it there's like a couple of um like places where the story has been told briefly there's like a play that was like broadcast in the bbc in the 80s that was sort of about it um and like you know but nothing nothing like big uh yeah i mean i don't i don't know that you can ever be definitive about it obviously because like well i don't know what historians yeah i don't think we know so we'll see like we don't know but i i just think that like there's some novelization of the story yeah but yeah that's i just it. think i just think that like discounting I, I don't know i just think that honestly the simplest explanation is that he is a trans man or was a trans man and was living his life the way As that he wanted to live it yeah and if you make it more complicated than that then you're really trying to like jump through some hoops to erase trans people from history <laughs> and i think that's kind of weird <laughs> like yeah but but again i guess we don't know we don't that's know. just my opinion we don't know but it was a Anyhow. very interesting road to go down. Yeah, that's very interesting. When I was just trying I'm to learn about C-sections. <laughs> the things you find out. I mean. History is interesting. History, it happened. And it did happen. And it's interesting. And sometimes we know stuff about it. And sometimes, obviously, we don't. So, you know. All right. Let's go to our discharge summary, which is our actual okay. review of the thing. What are we reviewing? <laughs> the C-section? <laughs> well, she died. So. Oh, my God. Not great. Zero. <laughs> just zero out of anything (laughs) okay let's i guess we should review i mean i guess we should just review the whole birth scene okay right like however you want to interpret that okay i will give the birth scene i'll give it two two out of ten syringes full of venom only because (laughs) at the very least the equipment is set up properly Mm. there's enough equipment I'm giving two points for equipment, basically, is what I'm saying. Yeah, two points for equipment is a lot. The rest of it is bad. But, you know, your your tools, if you're doing an, a surgery, your tools are important. And at least they're there. I would have given one more point if they were <laughs> used appropriately. <laughs> okay. Um, 
See, because my reason for my point that I'm going to give is the same, but I give far fewer points for equipment. (laughs) I am going to give them half a point out of 10 extremely aggressive scalpel incisions (laughs) for the fact that they had a a whole OB suite. But I'm only giving them half a point for that because I'm kind of like, sure, you bought the equipment and you have it kind of all set up, although like apparently nobody uses it for anything. Um, they don't have like any the other part of it that you need, which is people, right? They don't oh, have appropriate. They're people missing the most important equipment, which is people. <laughs> like it's just you can have you can have like they have an anesthesia machine, which is great because this is like a surgical suite. But no but, anesthesiologist. Like, no anesthesiologist. No way to give her anything besides a pre-prepared syringe of morphine. Like who knows how much morphine was in there? Nobody knows. <laughs> it looked like a lot. <laughs> And so, like, sure. I mean, anybody can buy medical equipment. Like, that's you need true. People to actually be and the there. The Collins are very wealthy, so to do the things. So they get half a point because they bought medical equipment, and they lose all of the points because that could have gone so much better, and it did not have to be like that. That's at all. true. That's true. So. Fair, fair. All right, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Well, thank you for oh, joining gosh. us on this nearly five hours worth of Twilight. <laughs> Yeah, on our personal Twilight Saga. That we have gone through. (laughs) Um, Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time. See you next time. You stole my line. I stole it. Thanks for listening to Doc's Watch. You can subscribe to our medical ramblings on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Find us on Twitter at Doc's Watch Pod or visit us at docswatchpod.com.